Welcome back to the Shemad podcast. Today is April 2nd, 2020, and we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. The markets are melting down. The economy is contracting. Unemployment is going up. And I have some amazing, delightful news for you to hear in this situation. I have found through my experience that we have a loophole in the Torah. And that is there is a way for us to have a tangible experience with Hashem and grow financially prosperous through this loophole without being Torah scholars, without having perfectly refined Midot. This is for us lay people. This is the fast track way to do this. And the loophole I'm referring to is the mitzvah of tzedakah. And I have a very special guest with us today, Rabbi R.A. Wolby, who's going to be talking about the Torah references and sources for these concepts. But I want to begin by telling you my personal story. And I'll begin by saying why this is so important right now, because this is a time when people are concerned about their health, they're concerned about their finances. And so this situation actually is creating this incredible opportunity for us to grow in all these areas. So when I was a young man, I knew I I really wanted to become wealthy. And when I look back on what my motivation was, it was not because I wanted to retire early and go live a life of leisure playing golf and games. Not at all. I loved the idea of the business world. And it wasn't because I wanted some extravagant lifestyle where I had multiple homes and mansions or I had jets and helicopters. I didn't care about any of that. When I look back on it, my motivation was I hated the idea of being dependent on an employer for a paycheck. To me, it was just the idea of slavery. That I wouldn't be able to leave a situation, a, a source of employment to pursue something better. Or what I always sort of dreamed of was starting my own business. And without capital, you can't do that. You're just dependent on that employer, that next paycheck, to pay your rent or your mortgage and put food on the table. So early on, I decided I wanted to be a stockbroker. It was a high-earning position. I switched my major to finance in college, and I got an internship at Lehman Brothers. And I got myself on this fast-track path where I worked there during the day, went to school at night. They agreed to allow me to get my securities license while I was still in school. So the day I took my last final exam, I went into the manager's office and said, I'm done. And he said, congratulations. I assume you passed. You're now a stockbroker. And shortly after that, the top producer that I had been working for went to a boutique investment bank. And it was me there, a barely drinking age, and everyone else was very established, very successful. And I started making a very good living for a young man. But one of the things that the partners of the firm would always tell me is, well, you shouldn't eat at that restaurant. You got to eat this restaurant because that's where all the successful people go. And you're working out where, Dan? You need to go work out at this special club, which the, the other club cost $25 a month to work out in this, at. This club cost $500 a month to work at. This is back in $1992. And I told the, the partners, I said, you know, I'm really not saving any money. And they said, that's fine. Don't worry about that. You'll save money when you start making $300,000 a year. And I said, okay. And I continued to live the lifestyle that they were encouraging me to live. And I realized that what they were doing was they wanted me on that treadmill because for every dollar I earned, they got 50 cents of it. And I finally figured that out and began to really just work hard at cutting back spending and saving money and making more money 
and one thing would happen after another and it was just never occurring. I was never able to create that type of capital to allow me to start my own business or become financially independent. And now I understand totally why Hashem did me the greatest act of kindness and caused that situation to occur the way it did. At the age of 40, roughly 10 years ago, I began to study Torah and become religious. And I read this remarkable text talking about Sadaka. And the text said that if you give Sadaka, Hashem says to us, then you will surely know him. And I remember thinking, this is what I've been looking for, to not be dependent on a man for income. And if this is true, what God is telling me is that I can be just totally dependent on him. And I absolutely love that idea, but I wasn't sure if I really believed it. So in 2007, 2008, I had experienced my, my best year. I remember my wife telling me, Dan, you did really well this year. That was your best year of income. I remember responding to my wife that that is chump change. That's nothing. I need to double my income from here. I'm going to do it this year. And what Hashem did for me was he cut my income in half as a result. Now, some people may say, well, Dan, that was the credit crisis. That wasn't the result of Hashem cutting your income. It was just the economy. No, that is not the case. Because the industry I was in at that particular time, that situation created more of a demand for our services. And everyone else that were running territories around the country, they were prospering. And I was watching my sales just plummet. And the president of the company, who was a good friend of mine, called me up one day and said, Dan, I hate making this phone call because we're good friends, but you have to pick it up. You have to pick up your production. Please do not make me have to make this phone call again because you'll know what that means. Is there anything I can do to help you out? And I said, no, I'm following a sound process. I don't know what is going on. And he said, just turn it around. Please don't make me have to call you again. And then I learned about this at the same time. I was learning about this mitzvah of Sadaka. And I was in a state financially where instead of saving money every month, I was pulling from savings in order to meet my expenses from my meager savings. And once again, I was looking at my spreadsheet for the month and realized after I had cut every expense I could think of that was non-essential, that I am shy money to once again pay my bills. And so I said, Hashem, I want to believe this is true. So I sent off $500 in Sadaka to some charities. Now, dramatically underfunded to meet my budget needs that month. And the following two days later, I received three checks in the mail from unexpected places. It was a utility company saying, hey, your deposit that you gave us, we don't need that anymore. You can have that back. All these ancillary sources and those checks added up to $750. And I, I wanted it to be true so bad, but I, I thought this, this is just circumstantial. This is just coincidence. And what I wanted more than the money was I wanted this to be true. So I took that $750 and I said, Hashem, these bills are not due for another 10 days. So show me. You said I can test you, so I am testing you. And I sent that $750 off in Sadaka. A few days later, an envelope arrives from an insurance company that I had did a joint deal with with my company many years before. And that deal was over, but I would get these residual checks that my wife would enjoy opening up and laughing about with me because they were usually 75 cents to $1.25 on the high. And when I opened up the check to look at my $1.25 check, the check was around $3,700. And then I, I knew it was real. 
And I didn't even care about the money. I was just so delighted that Hashem is there, that he give, gave me this tangible way to interact with him. And very quickly, I got up to giving my 10% sadaka. And now my territory was the top producing one. And I remember the president called me up and said, Dan, I don't know what you did, but I want you to share it with all the other sales guys. So on the next Friday sales call, I want you to share with the team everything you did. And I couldn't tell them the truth because the only thing I'd done differently was I was giving 10% sadaka. I was making study time of an hour every morning to study Torah. And I was studying an hour in the afternoon. That's the only thing I'd done. And that's not the messaging that much of non-Jews want to hear on how I improved my territory sales. So I basically got on the call and just described everything I had already been doing. Then it was genius, even though that was the same thing I was doing back when I was almost about to get fired. And over time, I just got used. I gave 10%. My income grew. And then something else happened. Several years later, my dear friend, who I'm about to bring on, Rabbi Ari Wolby, was telling me about this brilliant idea he had, this idea of creating the Torch Center, a place where Jews could get together and congregate. They could hold classes They can enjoy coffee, have fast Wi-Fi where they could bring their laptops, do work. And it was just an incredible idea. And he asked me if I could help with providing some sadaka to them to provide furniture. And I told him, I can't do that right now. I've already given my 10%. I'm in the process of building a home. The builder is going to need money soon. I can't do it. I'm sorry. And when we got off the phone, I remember thinking to myself, how special it was back when I was financially vulnerable. The giving the sadaka when I was vulnerable is what made it more tangible. It enhanced that relationship with God. And I realized I have this opportunity once again. So I told Hashem, I know Hashem, you love this idea. This is exactly why you created the world. These rabbis to teach Torah and bring other Jews back to Torah. So I don't need this money for another 30 days. So I am going to donate $5,000 to Torch. The following morning, the owner of the company calls me up and says, Dan, I am so sorry, but there was a major error that's been made in accounting and you've been paid incorrectly for quite some time. And my heart sank at first, but I remember to myself, everything that happens is for the good. So I told him, no worries, no problems. Just tell me how much I owe you. And we can, and I'll determine whether or not to send you a check or whether to just take it out of my next paycheck, depending on how much I owe you. And he said, no, 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 Dan, you misunderstood. You don't owe us any money. We owe you $10,000. And what I learned from that experience, once again, was that that is what made the Sadaka giving special, was allowing myself to become vulnerable. And so every year since then, I've always pledged more to my favorite organization, which is Torch. And the other two organizations I give to is I asked Rabbi Ari Wolby, asked Rabbi Yokoff Wolby, what are the institutions that made you who you are? Because I need them to make more of you. The Jewish world needs more of you. And they said, the Jerusalem Kloel and the Mir Shiva. So those are the other key sources of Torah learning that I contribute to. And every year I always work to pledge more. And what I have found is that even though when I'm laying out the pledge, And I have no idea, based off what I earned last year, how in the world am I going to make that pledge? It always comes in. Hashem has always provided me with the money. And I love just when I'm davening in the morning and telling Hashem, I just want to be a good fiduciary for you. There is nothing more precious to you than than the world spreading your Torah wisdom. Please just let me be a conduit for these Zadiks, for these Torah scholars, because that is what you need. 
Don't do it my merit. My merit's not there, but do it for theirs. And he always provides. And I think this is so crucial right now because many of you may be saying the economy is getting distressed. You're watching your stock portfolio go down. You're looking at your businesses go down. But I'm telling you, I don't care if you are in the restaurant business or the oil business or whatever industries are getting hit right now. You may be looking at everything and saying, I know this industry and there's no way I can make money in this industry. But please, I beg you, don't be arrogant like that because we have to always remember our intellect Our perception is so finite. Hashem can do anything, and he will, if you choose to take on this role of being a fiduciary for him. So I'm going to bring on right now Rabbi Ari Wolby to talk a little more about this to us, to source the text. And I hope that the end result of this, after listening to this, and I hope that you forward it to other people as well, is that this is the way to to make sure no matter what is happening in the economy, what is happening in the stock market, it doesn't matter to Hashem. It is the way to preserve our income. And I believe, and I'll let Rabbi Ari address this, it's also a way to preserve our health. I believe I've read that. And and the reason, if you can think about it, how many people in the world are supporting Torah learning? And why did God create the world? To spread his Torah wisdom. So there's only so many people applying for this position. He will take care of us because he knows that we are doing something that not too many people are signing up for. So Rabbi Ari Wolby, I'm so appreciative that you are joining us today to share your wisdom on this subject. Thank you so much, Dan, for inviting me. It is a huge honor to be again featured on your terrific Shema podcast. I'm a huge fan myself and uh, consider it a tremendous privilege to count you as one of my very, very dear friends. I want to first address the source in the Torah. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, the verse says as follows, Aser ta'aser eskol hasade shana shana. The verse translates as, Tithe you shall tithe the fruits of your fields and everything that comes out year by year, all of its produce. And you know, one of the fundamentals that we talk about constantly in Torah study is that there isn't an extra word in the Torah. And here we seem to see in this verse, tithe you shall tithe. You can tell me that once. You don't need to tell me that twice. But the Torah says it twice. And the Talmud in Tractate Tanit 9a says the most incredible thing. Aser, tithe, kedei shetit asher, so that you shall become wealthy. And this is in the Talmud. It's the most beautiful words. I'll read it straight from the... Aser ta'aser, tithe you shall tithe. What is the point of the double expression, the Talmud asks? Talmud answers, Aser bishvil shetis asher. It teaches tithe so that you shall become wealthy. The word eser, the word osher, ten, and wealth are the same letters. So when it says you shall tithe, it really is referring, the Talmud says, to wealth, not to the 10%. But when you give that 10%, you will benefit from great wealth. There's many, many incredible stories. I highly recommend that everyone look at this piece of Talmud, study it, look at all the verses that it involves, because it really is remarkable, the promise that we have. But it's very interesting that you asked me to be on this podcast specifically this week, which we're going to be reading the Torah portion of Tzav, and the Haftorah being that it's the Shabbos preceding Pesach, every year we read the same Haftorah this Shabbos, and that is Shabbat HaGadol, and we read from the prophet Malachi. And in chapter 3, verse 10, 
we say the following. I'm going to read it in English. Bring all the tithes into the storage house and let it be sustenance in my temple. Test me, if you will, with this, says Hashem, Master of Legions. See if I do not open for you the windows of the heavens and pour it upon you blessing with, without end. Enough said. From my standpoint, the promise is very, very clear. And here we have a an unprecedented once in the entire history of the Torah, in entire Judaism, you're not allowed to test God except with tithes. God says, try me, try me. See if I don't bestow upon you the most incredible wealth, the most incredible success because of your tithes. So there are many, many, I've been doing a lot of research preparing for this podcast. I want to share with you a beautiful story. You know, you get these letters in the mail which says pre-approved credit you get these credit card applications. They're like pre-approved. Uh, Dan Coleman, pre-approved for a new gold card, for a new platinum card. For They're pre-approved. So I want to tell you pre-approved wealth. There's a man, his name was Bernard Hochstein. He was a very big philanthropist who lived in Jerusalem. He was American, I believe. And he came to Israel and he would give an ex- extraordinary amount of charity. And he would talk a lot about this. It was one of his pet peeves, and he would talk a lot in, in public gatherings, talking about the importance of giving a tithe to charity and being very strict about it. And he said that his trick to success wasn't to give it after he earned it, but was to give it before he earned it. And now God had to pay him back. So he would decide, how much money do I want to make this year? I want to make $500,000? Okay, so I'm committing right now $50,000 to charity. And he would start giving it out. And that way God had to keep the promise. And he decided how much he wanted to make, and that's how much he committed to charity. So he used the reverse, not how much I make, I'll give that amount, 10% of it to charity, but rather the opposite. I'll decide how much I want to make, and I'm already going to commit that 10% already now for charity. And that was his system of pre-approved finances. I want to share with you an amazing story, which is a little bit further into this, because you know there's a great... A philanthropist who lives in California, his name is Shlomo Yehuda Rechnitz, and he is a non-discriminate giver. He gives to every institution that comes to him, and in fact, he has his doors open every Saturday night after Shabbos, and the, the lines are around the block of different institutions that come to ask for charity. And people know that he's a very, very big heart, and he has deep pockets, and he gives and gives and gives, and it's really extraordinary. He's an example for philanthropists around the the world, in the Jewish community, of what it means to really be a giver. He was once speaking at a dinner, at the Mir Yeshiva dinner in England, and he said the following story. You know, we know this promise that we just brought from Malachi, that you can test God. He says, I know many people who tested God. They didn't earn their keep through it, and they lost their wealth. So how come we have this promise? And he went around to many sages and and scholars and asked them what their opinion is, why we all know so many wealthy people who gave their tithe and then still lost their wealth. So the promise perhaps wasn't kept. So he said he offered an idea to all of these sages and they all loved his reason. He said, imagine you struck gold and you became very wealthy. What would be the first thing you do? People come ask you for charity. You'd have an executor, someone who people can go to, you know, so you want to continue to grow your business and you would have someone, you'd give them your checkbook and you tell them, you can write out the checks for me. So what's if you found out after a time that this individual started using his own personal agenda in how he gives your charity. Suddenly, he's giving money to the institution that accepted his child to school. He's not giving money to the institution that didn't accept his child to school. 
you know, the ones who are going to give him an honor and a title and a plaque, he's going to give them money. And those who are not, he's not going to give them money. What would you do if you found out that he was using your charity as his own personal tool? The first thing you do is take away his checkbook. I'm sorry. I, I, this is, it's not your money. It's my money. Well, this Shlomo Yehuda Rechnet said the following. He says, we are God's checkbook. And when an institution comes to us for charity, we have to give everyone. We can't start using our own personal agenda and say, oh, I like this institution, so I'll give them money. I don't like that institution, so I'm not going to give them money. This is such an important lesson because God makes us the executor of his money. To back this up, there's an amazing story I read in the Midrash. There was an individual whose father would earn a thousand bushels every single year, and he would give away a hundred bushels as charity, he would tithe very, very carefully. And as his father was getting old, he calls his son in and he calls. He tells him, I want you to promise me that you're going to continue to work the field. You'll have your thousand bushels, which is more than enough, and tithe every year a hundred bushels. The son said, no problem. The first year after the father passed away, the son got his thousand bushels and gave away a hundred. The second year, he sees, well, it's not exactly, you know, it's, it's very difficult to give away 100. That's really a lot. Maybe I'll, I'll just give away 90. And the following year, he only earned 900. He didn't realize that it's because he minimized his tithes. So the following year, he gave away 80 because he's not going to give away 10%. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of bushels. So he gave away 80, et cetera, et cetera, all the way till he got down to only earning 100 bushels. His family came to visit him. And they said, you don't understand. When a person gives ma'aser, when someone gives a tithe, they're giving it as God gives to the Kohen. He says, but now what you've done is that God took you out of that position. He says, I'm going to make you the Kohen and you're only going to receive the 10%, which is why you're only getting 100 bushels instead of 1,000. The child learned his lesson and immediately started tithing appropriately. And the crops, the Midrash says, returned to their point of production to a thousand bushels. And he was very diligent in keeping the promise he made to his father of giving a hundred bushels to tithes. I want to share with you another story. Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, who was known as one of the great Tanaic sages, much of the Mesilat Yisharim, the writings of the Ramchal, is based on the one statement from Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, who was such a great man. And he would go, he had a very strong passion that he would uh, raise money from different communities to free the captive. What would happen is you'd had many anti-Semitic uh, governments over the years, we've experienced many of them, who they'd find a Jew they didn't like and they would throw them into jail. And you'd have to come up with a tremendous amount of ransom money to free that Jewish person. And Rav Pinchas and Benyar, that was his passion. He would go from town to town raising money for these poor Jewish prisoners. He went to one city and the people said to him, we appreciate that you're here, but don't you know what's been going on here with us? Don't you know that we've lost everything this year because mice have been eating up our crops and we have nothing to eat? We're down to nothing. We have nothing to eat. Can you please, you're such a great sage, can you please beseech God on our behalf? So he says, sure. So he prays late at night to the Almighty and he says, God, please give me the reason. And he got the reason. And he calls all of the people into the fields. He says, I want every single person from our community, from this community, come into the fields with me. They all come into the fields. And he says, okay, wait right here. And then he says, mice, mice, come out, come out from wherever you are. 
And all of the mice, thousands and hundreds of thousands of mice come out into the field as well, even though they're terrified of humans, but they came out and they're making such an extraordinary amount of noise. So Pinchas bin Yara turns to the community, says, do you hear what they're saying? They said, great sage, how are we supposed to understand they're chirping and they're, and they're, and they're, they're squealing? How are we supposed to understand their language? He says, listen to what they're saying. They're saying we were sent here because you don't pay your tithes. And because you don't pay your tithes, we're forced to eat your crops. And immediately the mice disappeared because the people of that town repented. And they said, God, we have strayed. We have turned away from our responsibility of giving the tithes. And the mice disappeared and the people had their wealth restored. The incredible teachings, there I can go on with stories, the incredible teachings of our sages that there is an, a responsibility. I just want to uh, point out is that the tithe is not charity. The tithe is an obligation. The tithe is like you send your child uh, to the store and you ask him to go buy you a uh, bottle of milk. Your son comes back and he says, Daddy, thank you so much for the $10 you, sent, you gave me for the bottle of milk. Um, I got these really great candies. And you're like, excuse me, I, I asked you for milk. Where's the milk? He says, oh, I got the candies. W- would you send your child again with $10 to go buy the milk? Most likely not, because they weren't trustworthy. You see, our sages tell us that God really wanted to give us 90% of our earnings. But he says, I want to throw in an extra 10% so that you be my messenger to distribute it on my behalf. And when we don't do that, God says, I can't trust you anymore. You're not trustworthy. I want you to be my distributor to give it out for me and here, you're keeping it for yourself. You're buying candies instead of buying milk. You're, you're keeping it for yourself because in your mind, you don't have enough money and you're not giving it out to charity the way I requested. So that is tithe. Charity is from the other 90%, which is duly, so to speak, ours. And when we give charity, charity is not from the 10%. Charity is from the above 10%. But I want to clue you into something very special here. And that is the Gaon of Vilna. He says that the aser kedeshetit asher, that the tenth, so that you get you can become wealthy, is referring to twenty percent. He says the ten percent is so that you have everything you need, the basic necessities of your living. But if one gives a fifth, a chomesh, twenty percent, and the source for this of the Gaon's writing is in the great book of it's called Sefer Shari Racharim, chapter forty five, and it is brought down from his student Reb Chaim Volozhner, where he says that if one gives twenty percent of his income to charity, he is guaranteed to become incredibly wealthy. That is an unbelievable promise given by the Gaon of Vilna. I want to share with you an incredible story. There was a fellow who came, called me up. I had the privilege of many times people calling me from Israel, other places, say, you know, we're coming to Houston, and I don't typically ask what they're coming for. Generally speaking, it's for a charity. Can I stay at your house for Shabbos for a few days? I said, sure, no problem. Now, this individual didn't say that he was coming for a charity, but I immediately assumed that he was. So he's a rabbi from Israel. I figured right away he's coming to uh, solicit donations. It's a terrific so he came, he stayed by me the entire Shabbos. It was, a, it was a lovely Shabbos. And after Shabbos, we made Havdalah, and I, I called him into my study, and I said to him, so I pulled out my checkbook, and I was all proud. I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a mitzvah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be proactive. I said, tell me, what charity are you collecting for? See, he looks at me strangely. He says, I'm not here to collect for anything. I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I thought you know you were coming to, to raise funds for an institution, for something. He says, no. 
But I would like you to call your entire family here, and I would like to tell you the story of my life. I call my wife and my children, and we sit around the table. He says, I want you to know something. He says, I became religious later in my life, and I was learning in Jerusalem, and I had no way of supporting myself. And someone told me I should go become a scribe. I should start writing scrolls for Sefer Torah, for Mezuzah, for Tefillin, for Megillah, many different scrolls. And I started to do that. It was very easy for me to learn. And he went to the institute that teaches this, and he got certified, and he started writing scrolls. So the only problem was he had no method of selling these scrolls, and his drawer was filled with scrolls, but he had no way to distribute them and no way to sell them. And he was in abject poverty. And he called his rabbi, he says, I need to meet with you. He goes to the yeshiva, and he says to his rabbi in yeshiva or samach, he says, Rabbi, I'm so poor. He says, we have one child, my wife is expecting a second, and we literally don't have anything to eat. He says, I would like you to give me a halachic ruling that I don't need to tithe any more from any money I earn till I can earn a decent living. He says, wow, that's, that's a huge thing. He says, I don't have shoulders broad enough to give you such a halachic ruling. He says, I want you to go to Reb Chaim Pinchos Steinberg, the great sage who lived in Jerusalem, who wore 101 peers of tzitzit, an unbelievable scholar, he says, he's the only one I know who has the, the shoulders to carry such a halachic ruling. Go to him. So he goes to Rabbi Scheinberg's house, and he tells him his woes. And he says, I would like you, please, to give me a halachic ruling that I don't need to give a tithe anymore of whatever I earn. So the rabbi says, you know what? Here's what I'll do for you. He says, I want you to promise me that you're not going to give 10%, but rather that you're going to give 20%. And I promise you great wealth. He says, okay, I, I didn't, uh, this is not what I bargained for, but he says, I'll go home. And I'll ask my wife. So he goes home, and his wife says, oh, you're such a dummy. He says, of course we should, we should accept it. If the rabbi is giving you such a promise, she says 20% of nothing is still nothing. So if you can get such a blessing, take it. So they immediately accept it upon themselves that every dollar they earn, they're going to give 20%. As they make that promise, their phone rings, and it's the rabbi from the first yeshiva who calls him up, and he says to him, where are you right now? He says, I'm home. He says, I want you to come here right now to the yeshiva. He says, Rabbi, how do I get there? I don't have money for a cab. I don't know. He says, borrow money from your neighbor. You have to come here right now. It's an emergency. So he quickly gets to the yeshiva. Standing with the rabbi is a student from years earlier who owned the largest Judaica store in New York City. And he had one problem. He didn't have a scribe to provide him with scrolls for his customers. And he says, I want the two of you to do some business together. And he told me, sitting by my table, the scribe, he says, for eight years, every single scroll that I wrote, he bought for me. He says, I couldn't write fast enough. He says, today, as I sit here around your table, it's 22 years since I made that promise to Rabbi Scheinberg. And I have never had a single scroll sit in my drawer, not even for a day. He showed me his scrolls later, and it's gorgeous, gorgeous print, and he writes so beautifully. I said to him, wow, I, says, I, would, I said, I would love to have such a mezuzah on my door. He says, I'm sorry, this mezuzah that I'm about to deliver has been purchased three years ago. He says, I'm sold out for the next three years for every scroll I'm going to write in the, in the coming three years. He says, and you can be guaranteed, I give 20% of every dime that comes through my door. Amazing, Rabbi. I, I love that story. You know, as you were talking, you know, there's money can be used for distancing ourselves from God, or it can be used by creating a closer connection to God, by creating a closer connection with our fellow man. And if you think about it, in order to give tzedakah, there has to be someone 
that needs the tzedakah. So it seems like what God is saying is, I need someone on each side of the equation. You choose which side you want to be on. Absolutely. Now, we already know that the Talmud tells us that every year, person's wealth is promised already. It's preordained from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. And that's a reality that we know. It's kotsuf, it's designated from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. But we can manipulate that. There are things that we can do. There are things that we can, I guess, change the decrees from heaven in where God is, in a way, I guess, manipulated in a way by our actions, by our positive actions to bring that success. The best way, obviously, is through tithes. And if we're capable of having the emunah and the faith to give 20%, that's even greater. The ability... To be a godly entity where we are able to use the power of Hashem, so to speak. Hashem is the all-time giver. Hashem gives on his giving on his giving. I, I'll give you an example. Imagine if you have a son and your son comes over to you and he says, Dad, give me 50 bucks. You're like, excuse me? How are you talking to me? He says, I said, give me 50 bucks. I'm like, Dave, how are you how are you talking? I'm your father. You don't talk to me like that. He punches you, grabs your wallet, takes 50 bucks and throws the wallet at you. Tell me, the next time he comes to ask you for $50, are you going to even consider it? Not a chance. Yet the Almighty, he tells us, listen, I'm setting up commandments in my Torah. There's a way in which I want you to live your life. And what do we do? Potentially trampling on his Torah, punching God. And then we say, God, give us, give us success. God, give me wealth. God, give me the things I want. And we're punching him, we're kicking him, we're hurting him, and demanding that we get what we want. But you know what the incredible thing of God's mercy is that even when we trample on him, even when we step on his Torah, even when we don't follow his ways, he continues to give us lovingly with the hope that one day we turn to him and recognize his presence, that we acknowledge and that we connect with his holiness and with his presence. Because God is a giver, on top of giving. God is giving with the hope that, you know what? It's not going to go a tit for tat. You know, you didn't treat me nicely. I'm not going to treat you nicely. No, that's not the way it works in God's world. God's like, you didn't treat me nicely. I'm still going to treat you nicely. And I'm going to still going to treat you nicely. And I'm still going to treat you nicely because I hope one day you'll treat me in return properly. That's the benevolence of God. That's the un- unbelievable way in which Hashem gives and gives all of Hashem's creation. You know, I was benching today and I try lately to every time after I eat bread and every time after I eat any meal to say the blessing inside the bencher. This is a promise, by the way, that I heard from many great sages that one of the great secrets to success in our livelihood is to pray the Birkat Amazon, the grace after meals, inside. Look inside. Read the words inside. Not by heart, not by memory, not by singing, read the words inside. And if you look at the words, it's amazing. Hazan et haolam kulo betuvo. God feeds all of his creations with kindness, with, 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 I mean, you read the words and it's like, how can you not cry by saying, Bechein, Bechesed, Uverachamim? There's no creature in the world that God doesn't feed, from the little ant to the largest elephant. Every single creation is being fed by the Almighty. It really is incredible. Do we think God doesn't have the ability to give us? God will never, ever bring us to a point of starvation. 
So there's an element of gratitude here as well. The more we appreciate everything he's given us, then the more he knows that we actually do appreciate it. So therefore he gives us more. It's like from the, the parent-child relationship. When you give your child something and they're, they're so appreciative of it, it makes you realize, I want to do something else nice for them because they really know how to get joy out of that. Whatever I gave them, a child who is spoiled doesn't act like they really care about the gift you gave them. Eh, you're probably not going to think that there's a reason to give them something else in the future. And a lot of you know what we've seen, I think just recently, where we went from a, an economic environment where the stock market's at all-time highs, unemployment's at all-time lows, and what were people doing? I'm not making enough money. Everyone's complaining about what they lacked. And Hashem said, okay, I can take that away if you don't appreciate what I've given you so far. It seems like that's part of the equation. I want to tell you something I learned from my secular cab driver in Israel. Now, you have to realize in Israel, everybody's a prime minister, and every, particularly the cab drivers. They're all so special and so opinionated. But I was once, I used to go teach every Thursday night in Yeshiva in Katamon, and, which is a, one of the communities in Jerusalem. And the, the learning program started at 12 midnight, Thursday night, getting ourselves ready for Shabbos. It was a very special yeshiva after the guys were partying in town at night. Um, uh, the, these were unique individuals, and they would get on the last bus, 1145, leaving town, and they would head to the yeshiva. And as soon as they got back, they were greeted with a bunch of young yeshiva students, a religious yeshiva students, who would say, hey, let's go learn. So... I got into this cab, and the cab driver asks me, he says, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm actually going to teach. He says, one second, you're going to teach Torah? He says, at 11, 11.30 at night, you're going? I said, yeah. He says, when are you done? I said, about 1.30, 2 o'clock. He says, call me. I want to be your, I want to be your driver. I want to pick you up. He says, for a rabbi who's going to teach Torah. I was 17 years old at the time. He says, I want, I want to drive you. So we, I got to know this cab driver very well. And every time I needed to go anyplace, I'd call him. He'd come pick me up. And he would drop me off wherever I needed to go. And he never wanted to take money. He says, no, I want the merit. I want to try to stuff money into his, you know, into his hand. He said, no, I want to have a merit of your Torah study. One time he asked me, Nusa, how are things going? So I said to him, eh, it could be better. He said, I said, it's not great. You know, it's like it's, uh, learning is a little bit difficult. It's, it's not so great. So he pulls over to the side of the road. He puts the car in park. And he says, what did you say? I said, well, it's not great. He says, don't ever say that again. He says, what do you think God is thinking? He says, if you say it's not great, he says, you think this is bad? Let me show you what bad is. I'm going to make it 10 times worse. He says, but if you say things are great, God says, you think this is great? Let me show you what great is. (laughs) This is what the cab driver told me. It was such an important lesson because you know what? The Talmud says the same thing. Talmud says, don't open the mouth for the Satan. Don't open the mouth for him. Also, with our success, whether it's financially, I'm so poor, I'm so, I'm, a person has to be very careful what they say because it gives an opening for potential harmful forces to have impact on us. When a person, this is not, not relevant to, to, the, to the idea of Tzedakah, but just an important idea. You know, my father once told us a story about a neighbor of his where he grew up. Every morning, he was like one of those AT&T employees. He'd wake up at 4.44 in the morning, and he'd get onto his train at 5.15 in the morning, and then he would you know, get to his office at 5.42, and he'd have his coffee ready, and he'd sit by his desk by 6 a.m. He'd be there. You know, he'd look one of those organized guys. And um, he 
one morning, he left in the morning and he came back. He had a stomach ache and he goes to the bathroom. He comes back out and he leaves again and comes back into the house. And his wife says to him, what's going on? And he says, yeah. he says, I'm sorry. He says, this time I'm going, I'm not coming back. And indeed, he never came back again. My father always used to tell us, you have to be so careful about what you say. You have to be careful about every word, particularly when we talk about our own livelihood we talk about our own well-being, we have to always use caution in the words that we use. And when we when we thank Hashem and we say, Hashem, you're so kind to us. Hashem, you're so good to us. Thank you, Hashem. Hashem says, wow, let me show you what good means. I'm going to show you even better, even better goodness. I'm going to multiply that goodness so much time, so much more. So then I want to share with you three more things, short things. Firstly, I can tell you hundreds of stories of donors of our organization that have been generous with us and have told me time and again, like your story, where they felt like the exact dollar amount came back to them. The exact dollar amount. It's remarkable. An individual called me up one time. He says, Rabbi, I have a check waiting for you. I said, you, you already gave your, your donation for the year. What, what is this, something, something special? And I'll, I'll never turn down a donation, but it, it's like I was, I was you know, perplexed, like what, what's going on? And this is a person who's meticulous every year. He says, no, I need the blessing. I need the blessing, so I need to make myself a little bit uncomfortable, and God will make himself uncomfortable. So I, after I picked up the check from his office, he wasn't there. I called him and I said, I just want to thank you so much. He says, Rabbi, don't thank me. He says, if it was my money... You wouldn't see a dime of it, but it's not mine. It's God's. It's God's money, so I'm giving it to the cause that he wants me to give it to. And there is, like you're saying, there are people who, you know, now's the time they hold back. And this is the time that they say, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, because it's an amazing how we are the ones who allow ourselves to grow or to get smaller in spiritual means and in financial and physical means. When we open up the doorways for blessing, the blessing pours in. When we close the doorways for blessing, we don't let it in. And we are the gatekeepers of that. And here is the example we brought from the from the sources. We are the gatekeepers of that blessing. My blessing to everyone is that we should all, it is challenging times and it's uncertain times and we're all facing crises in our community, whether it's people who are ill, people who are facing the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and uh, people who are struggling. My own grandmother was tested positive and passed away a few days later. It, It really is tragic. It really is very, very uncertain times. But there's one thing that is for sure. There is a constant in this world and as the creator of heaven and earth, that is Hashem, who takes care of us from the day we're born till the day we, we leave, from the beginning of creation till the end of this, of this world. There is one God who is taking care of every single one of our needs, and Hashem should always bless us to feel that connection, to know His presence, that it's right there, and to, and to feel that closeness and to feel that confidence. I, I want to share with you something special. I, you know, I was just talking to... Uh, one of my dear friends, Rabbi Laser Brody, a few minutes before I got on this podcast. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm feeling a little sense of stress in my body. And I want to share with you what he told me. He says, you know, the Arizal says when we wash our hands, we raise our hands. When we say, you lift up your hands and praise Hashem. And then you say the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam, Asher Kiddishanu Al Netilat Yadayim. 
When we wash our hands for bread, so you see, you're supposed to lift up your hands when you say that blessing. So the Arizal says, why do we lift up our hands? He says, we need to lift up our hands because emuna is typically in our mind. Arizal says, we have to put that emuna into our hands. We're not used to putting that emuna into our hands. He says, lift up your hands so that your hands can learn emuna. He says, when you walk to shul, your feet are learning emuna. We have to train our body parts to have emuna as well. The same thing with our wallets. We have to train that muscle of giving, train that muscle of giving in emuna. We don't just suddenly one day fall on becoming givers and philanthropists. It comes by training ourselves every single day before we say az yashir in the psuke de zimra, in the, in, the pra- in the verses of praise, we give tzedakah with our hands. The Rambam tells us if we have the opportunity to give $100 or to give 100 single dollar bills, give 100 single dollar bills. Because every time you give tzedakah, every time that action strengthens that emuna muscle in that arm, it strengthens that muscle of giving. And it is so crucial for us to train our physical body to have that emuna, not just to keep that emuna, that faith, that knowledge of Hashem in our mind and in our soul, but to put it into the limbs of our bodies. I have a follow-up question, something you said earlier and something you just said. And it's regard to giving to, to everyone, because you get so many emails, good good causes, good organizations that are constantly coming to my inbox saying, we need money, especially now. And... I give to some, but I say I can't give to every one of them. I have to like, these are my sources I'm supporting and I can't give to everyone. It sounds like possibly that's the wrong attitude that even if it's a small amount, when I get a request, even if it's a small amount, even if it's $18 or whatever someone considers small to make sure that I just go ahead and give out. Is that the... A hundred percent. It says, call haposhet yad notnimlo. The Talmud says, Anyone who puts out their hand, we give them. If someone has the need and they're putting out their hand, we don't leave them empty-handed. And to me, my principle is here in my house, every person who knocks on the door, we have many people coming through our neighborhood from various different places, from Israel, from Russia, from, you know, for different Jewish causes, schools, uh, soup kitchens, yeshivas, kolels, all different types of institutions. We give everyone. I can't give everyone a lot, but there's a minimum amount that I say, you know what? Everybody who asks, this is this is the amount that I can give every institution in the world, right? It's not going to be a lot. Now, there are some yeshivas, there are some institutions that are the pillars of the Jewish people, like like you mentioned earlier, the Mir Yeshiva, the Jerusalem Kolel, those are phenomenal institutions. Those are like the beacons of light in the world, you know, so we want to be part of that in as a significant way as we can. But and of course the, the the poor people of our own cities take precedence over the poor people of other cities, except for Jerusalem, because even if a Jew is not living in Israel, Jerusalem is the home of every Jew. So that takes that takes the same high status as the poor people of your own city and Torah institutions. The Torah is the light of the world. If we don't have Torah, we don't have light. There's no world. So, but my recommendation is we have to give to everyone. Now, I can't give, you know, so that means I'm going to have to cut out my political contributions. I'm going to cut, cut that out. I'm going to have to cut out because I want to give to meaningful causes. I want to give to, then, then that, that's, where, that's what's most important, to give to everything. And that, that was what, what this Shlomi Yehuda Rechnitz from the previous story, everybody knows that he is an indiscriminate giver. He gives to everyone. And that should be our goal 
is yes, we have our we have our, our pet organizations, we have the organizations that we love and that we cherish and that we want to support and we want to see them succeed, but we should have something for everyone. Again, it could even be ten cents. It can even be ten dollars or a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars, depending on each one's scale of, of ability to give, but something to everyone. Got it. Thank you, Rabbi, for clearing that up. That's something I have not been doing uh, correctly, so I appreciate learning that. I, you know, I, my blessing to everyone, I want to continue, is that we should always be on the giving end and not on the receiving end of charity. And Hashem should always bless us to, to have so much that we can give, to continue to have those strong giving muscles and be godlike in our ability to give to every single person that needs. Thank you so much, Rabbi, for sharing your wisdom with us. Such an important and timely topic. And I hope not only does everyone take it to heart, but they take this and forward it to other people that need to hear this very timely and important message. Thank you, Dan, for the privilege to be with you on this terrific, terrific podcast. Fantastic, Rabbi.